Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, episode 13. It's July 31st, baby. Anthony and I have a great lineup for you guys this week. For our first topic, whistleblowers testified in front of Congress about their witnesses to ETs and UFOs. ET on phone. For our second topic, ChatGPT just released their cryptocurrency, WorldCoin. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. And for our third topic this week, Anthony and I take a deep dive into how AI is playing a role in Major League Baseball. So we went from banging on trash cans to using AI? Yeah, that escalated pretty quickly. Stick around for the second half of our show as Cameron and I had a great conversation with AI and tech expert Tom Kim. But before we throw this batch in the oven, Anthony, hit him with that great intro track, my dude. Let's get it. Two, one. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning. But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics because being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field. Real dudes, just like you. So sit back, grab a donut and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery. And for our first topic this week, last week we had a really interesting press conference with three whistleblowers in front of our Congress to talk about their experience with UFOs or now currently called UAPs. And I know a couple of years ago we had this we had this release from the US government basically admitting that they have been hiding UFOs and in just stories and encounters with UAPs in the past. And they, they released it and they kind of released it during an inconvenient time to kind of just slide it under the rug during the pandemic. But here we are with three people coming out ready to release some information. And let's listen to a quick snippet from Major David Grush as he testifies in front of Congress. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. So, we know through this man's testimony that there have been, quote-unquote, biologics, I guess that is just a life form, that have been recovered. But what we don't know, and what I don't like about the whole entire interview is that so much, so much of it 
at least from the, some of these whistleblowers, was kind of skated around. And I can kind of understand and, and empathize with some of their answers, right? I mean, it's for their safety, right? Um, but some of it was skating around some of the questions and answering things as far as, you know, biologics. What does that mean? I want to know what biologics means. Right, man. You know, I feel like you're absolutely right there. It's like they, they came to talk about certain things, but to only answer certain questions. And, and I, uh, you missed a clip on there, if we could even pull that back up, where the guy says, um, for the public, you know, basically paraphrasing him, for the sake of this conversation, uh, I can't say it in public, but I can answer the rest of your questions, you know, behind closed doors. Right. And that just keeps leading us around the... The, what's the whole point of whistleblowing coming out right. and saying all, you know, we have encountered at UAPs, the government's hiding it. Oh, but I, I'm not going to tell you in front of Congress. We'll tell you behind closed doors. Right. That, I mean, that almost defeats the purpose. It's almost like, I don't know, I, I, I didn't really gain anything novel out of that testimony, but I, I do have to believe that this is coming from a place of of truthfulness. Right. Just crazy just to think that, you know, now that they're slowly releasing this information. However, a lot of people have always believed that. And I, personally, I believe the reason they've been hanging on to this is just because they didn't want to create some sort of mass hysteria, you know, across the globe. But at the same time, I feel like people still may be- have believed in these other beings already. And, and they've already seen certain things on their in their life or, or just questionable, you know, activity to where it, nobody's scared. You, you put the stuff in movies. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Don't look up. I know the movie, never seen it though. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of just like how everything is in plain sight and, uh, but you think it's like fictional, you know, yeah. science fiction and stuff like that. Yeah. But it really is right in front of your face, man. So. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think that we're ready for that kind of information. I mean, I think that maybe some of our listeners and maybe you and I, I think I'd be ready to hear that. Like, I think I'm ready to hear that there are extraterrestrial life that has encountered us, that's curious about us, and wanting to know more. What do they look like? Can we actually speak to them? Things like that. Like, I'm ready to hear these kinds of things. However, do you think that the population at mass is ready to hear that. I mean, what do you think? They're going to start looting stores and, and <laughs> stop going to work? No, bro, they're not going to do that. As long as we're not being, as long as we're not being harmed by this, I don't think it really affects us as a, as a collective because at the end of the day, your bills still got to get paid. So you got to take care of your family. But one thing I will say is when you think about the word extraterrestrial, like terrestrial, you know what terrestrial is like? Terrain. Lit. Land. Yeah, it's Latin for land. So even if you look at this uh, verbiage too, outer space. Right. Just think about it. Nothing says it has to be out of our atmosphere. It really just extra space. So we... Not from our ground. Right. So there's also just some theories, man, where, you know, the earth is bigger than what we know it is um, because it's only been mapped and, and we're still being... We're still, we're still discovering parts of the world, I yes. guess. But not only that, it's like, okay, if they've known about this since the 1930s and are just now coming out, what else do they know about that we don't know about because they don't want us to know? A hundred years of research, you have to know 
a lot more than than what's being put out on the plate. Right. Can we can we res- can we circle back to your comment about I guess them not being nefarious? There is there is one caveat, right? I mean, this past week we had Mitch McConnell go and if you guys don't know, Mitch McConnell's the Republican leader for the Senate and uh, which is considered the minority leader right now. He went up in front of a press conference and froze. But the interesting thing, and Anthony actually brought this to my attention, is that if you watch the video, and we're going to put the link for the video in the show notes, if you watch the video, there's this yeah. lady in a green suit, walks up, out of nowhere, touches Mitch McConnell, and he almost immediately freezes up. And it just it, it's almost just kind of weird and almost happenstance. You say it all the time. There's no such thing as coincidences. But let's let's take a quick listen to that interview. And we're gonna put a link in the show notes. You guys go look at look at it. It's only eight seconds in. Watch when this lady walks up and, and touches his arm. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh we're on a path to finishing the NDA uh this week. Been good bipartisan cooperation and a string of So that's the the period where Mr. McConnell starts freezing up and is not really able to to talk and everybody's trying to help him out. But it is an absolute, it is the weirdest thing that that is, he freezes up immediately when this lady comes out of nowhere and touches him. Yeah. Maybe you've heard of these things called reptilians. Yeah. And, absolutely. you know, there's... A, there's the royals, right? The royals are right. supposed to be reptilians, right? <laughs> absolutely. So if you're looking at this, this lady comes in, she's in this really green outfit, um, and this other guy had pointed out that, look at her face. If you slow down the video, it goes from being real smiley to then her eyes do this really weird shape shift, and her mouth looks a little mean, and she taps Mitch's hand. As soon as she taps his hand, uh, he freezes, and that's very, uh, I think that's Really interesting just to why that would happen. How does she even just come right in, in in the middle of a press conference, be able to have the clearance to just tap him? She didn't really even like whisper to him anything. She just tapped his hand. He freezes and she kind of moves out of the way. Take me to your leader. <laughs> yes. It's serious, man. I mean, I, there's a lot of just weird and very interesting things happening around us. Dudes. We'd love to hear your feedback on this. What do you guys think of everything that's emerging around us with UAPs or originally known as UFOs, alien species, and these quote-unquote biologics? What's your thought about all this? We really would like to have a conversation with you. So to do that, we have a link in our show notes where you can click, go to our website, comment on today's show, or request a shout-out. You can also do the same thing if you want to email us, info at donutswithdudes.com. Dudes, for our second story this week, last week, Sam Altman, chief executive officer of OpenAI, released his version of cryptocurrencies, WorldCoin. And it was actually released on exchanges like Binance, where on its first day, 
it almost tripled in value. Man, these boys doing too much, dog. Between him, Elon, oh, Zuckerbergler. I mean, come on, man. I get it. If you're not first, you're last, but. Yeah, it's almost like anyone that's anybody right now, if you're not in the AI game or the crypto game, what are you doing, I guess? Because everybody's jumping into this. Then the whole premise behind it is they're going to integrate biometric verification, like facial recognition and iris authentication to create what's called a world ID. And this is going to help distinguish between AI bots. So Anthony, are you ready to start scanning your eyeball and scanning your face to, to get into your cryptocurrency? And taking a vaccine that's unnecessary? You mean that kind of stuff? Or, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, what are we doing here? I just said that. What are we doing? It's not, we don't even have flying cars yet, bro. Like, I, I don't see this going on. And so it's like too much, too fast. The same thing I said last episode. Pump the brakes. Oh, on the contrary, do we have flying cars? However, this whole thing going on with Sam Altman and WorldCoin, Apparently, there's too many people that have already signed up and have scanned their irises and have scanned their face into this platform and have bought into uh, this new world currency or this new cryptocurrency, rather. Upon its release, WorldCoin only released 10 million tokens. So there is going to be some scarcity to some of this, too, as well. So which is kind of a good thing. It's not like there's this unlimited amount of coins that can continue to be created like Dogecoin. At least this, there will be a limited supply for the first 15 years. Another good thing, too, about it is that it's being built on the Ethereum blockchain. And Ethereum is known to have a really solid platform for creating cryptocurrencies and, and putting things on its blockchain. Yeah, I think that's probably one of their biggest strengths right now going for it and also just limiting the amount of coins out there. So, you know what, I might go ahead and buy a little piece of coin, you know, hang on to it, whatever, put it in my pocket. But... All my stuff just got liquidated on Voyager, which they made it, you know, maybe had to jump through hoops to try to transfer these coins out. And I'm disappointed in that. I'm not, I guess I'm not tech savvy enough, but, you know, I'm going to go ahead and buy me a little piece of this coin, though, and just let it ride. Yeah. You know, it's, it is kind of coming at a bad time with cryptocurrencies kind of taking a bad rap right now with Coinbase and Binance and FTX and all those issues that have gone on throughout this year. It's kind of interesting that Sam Altman's kind of jumping into the ring with cryptocurrencies right now because it just, I, I don't know that that makes sense. But I, I think for, for him, the advantageous side of all of this has been, where are you storing your coins, right? Obviously, he's releasing these things onto Binance, which is under scrutiny right now, right? Um, so there's always the, the issue of whether or not you're going to get your money back. Obviously, Anthony's out of some, some money right now with Voyager, but interesting take, you know, I just, it's it kind of interesting for me because I don't, I don't see the trajectory here. Obviously, I, I mean, you can try to take on, you know, if people are transacting in your currency, then you have leverage. And, and I get that point, but at, at a certain point, there's just too many cryptocurrencies to go around. Or once there is more acceptance of cryptocurrency, let's say in, in the commerce space, there's not going to be enough room for all these different coins to survive and thrive. So it'll be interesting to see which ones come out of this victorious and which ones we actually use in the future for transactions. Let me ask you this. How many 
you know, founders of coins do you know? Like, isn't Bitcoin still anonymous? No, Bitcoin has a, a, a you know, a founder. Oh, they did? Yeah. But wasn't for a while you couldn't, they didn't know who it was? I feel like there's a, a couple of coins like that where you didn't know who the founder was and it was like a mystery. No, it's uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. All right, thanks for thanks for the answer, buddy. <laughs> I, I was still under the impression that there, you know, that these things were you didn't want to know who it was, and those people that created them didn't want to be known. No, yeah, I, I think uh, a, a lot of them, especially the bigger ones. There's definitely the founder and owner of Ethereum is still involved in his uh, in Ethereum's day to day. Vitalik Buterin, the founder of Ethereum. Well, I'm telling you, man, there must have been an alternate universe or, you know, different parallel. I don't know, but I I promise you. Part of the Mandela effect. Yeah, dude, that really was. And actually, Buterin has actually come out and spoken out against WorldCoin in the technology that it has, more specifically on the data that it's going to collect by way of the biometrics that it's going to use and how it will store everything and what it's going to do with that data itself. It's kind of interesting that he comes out and makes mention of this when WorldCoin is actually going to be on his technology and platform itself. But I don't know. Maybe we should take his warning seriously. I mean, this is the guy that's been around and, and in the crypto space for quite some time. And is actually, I mean, he helped build or one of the largest blockchain platforms. So, I mean, I think the guy may know what he's talking about when it, when it comes to this. But dudes, what do you guys think about this new cryptocurrency? It's obviously being released by a very important person these days, a name that's been in the news quite a bit, Sam Altman, owner and founder of OpenAI, which is the parent company of ChatGPT, releasing this new coin. Guys, what do you guys think? You going to buy into it? Hit us in our show notes, or you can email us, info at donutswithdudes.com. And for our final topic this week, here we are again. We're mentioning artificial intelligence in Major League Baseball. Now, I know technology has always found a way into sports, but what we're talking about here today brings a whole brand new, brave new world for the game of baseball. Man, you're absolutely right. And uh, it couldn't be even just more current right now than just from the games that I was just watching this week. You had the Astros versus the Rangers. And, um, you know, the, the Astros are in fourth place in the AL and they're one game out. Two. And, uh, well, now it's two games because they just lost last night. But, you know, banging on trash cans is far from AI, bro. You know, that's some caveman stuff, I guess, right? That's a quick evolution from how we're going about getting a, a leg up on the competition and Right now, the Rangers, they're using AI strategies to help them with game plan strategies, developing their lineup. They're also looking at player development and, and drafting and training. They're utilizing this machine learning technology to help them make better decisions when it comes to coaching and developing their players. I know you love the game of baseball. Yes, man. 
if your baseball IQ isn't high enough to to win games on your own and out coach and outsmart the other team's coaches and just make your own moves, like you're in the wrong business. And now, if we're going to take that that human element of coaching and game managing out of it, and you're going to put a AI into it. I just feel like the the game's going in the wrong direction. Yeah, it, it takes it takes a lot of the talent out of the game, it, it, or it reduces that variable for a winning formula, right? But dudes, if you're wondering how this works, what they're doing is they're taking frame by frame data and they're analyzing things like biomechanics and weather, opponents, things that opponents do. And what they'll do is they'll take these different data sets, throw it into a machine learning model to help them model and configure outcomes in the future. So they're able to throw in thousands of different types of scenarios with thousands of different types of players in different types of plays and throw all these different variables into an AI learning model. And these models are learning to say, this is going to be a conducive outcome, or this is not going to be a very good outcome. And this is helping them steer their decision-making. You know, I can kind of get it with uh, statistics and stuff like that, because that's always been a thing, though. You know, if you're looking at what this, you know, what so-and-so's batting average is against left-handed hitters, or pitchers, what so-and-so's batting average against left-handed pitching and with runners on first and second and all that. But, man, people used to do that by hand and by just looking at the numbers from the books. But now you've got, it's just, it's lazy. It is lazy. lazy. And, and, and the big thing about it is being able to make these decisions and having make, making 10,000 decisions in a split second where a human cannot do that. So here we are, we're, we're finding another disparity in sports where AI can develop or create a unfair advantage for teams that have access to certain technologies or not. How do we regulate? Do we not regulate? What's the happy medium here with this new technology, especially when it comes to big things like an American pastime like baseball. I don't know. They just took the human element out of coaching and strategy. And um, I guess now anybody can do that. So uh, who's got the best robot? Yeah. Who's, who's got the best technology? Who's got the best computers? That's what it's really going to boil down to. And, and unfortunately, this is fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at this, this has actually made its way down to the high school level. As a matter of fact, the uh, uh, assistant director for the Rangers, Alex Booth, mentioned that he's actually using this technology to analyze high school players to see whether or not they're ready for the draft and to go into the minor leagues or not. It's just lazy. Yeah, man. Just saying, you normally send your scout out and you go scout the kid, go watch him, you know, go check out some showcases. But now if you're just going to look at some... You know, numbers that are punched in and, hey, whatever. I just feel like, you know, there's already regulations on bats. You can't have, they have to meet the certain standards. So if this is league-wide, then I guess everybody's going to go to that. And it'll probably be like, hey, if you're going to use uh, AI, then you got to use this brand AI and it's got to be this approved by everybody. Um, so that way it, le- it levels the playing field, but still. This may be a, an inflection point for sports, you know, that how certain records have asterisks next to them 
this may be that point where we're integrating new technologies because every generation has become a little bit better, stronger, faster than the previous one, right? And this is just a, a new way, a new era that will produce just super athletes. And I think this is where you start seeing records just go out the window and they're going to be broken left and right because of the integration of artificial intelligence. Lastly, just think about this. If you're really going off of an AI, just looking at data or data and checking out whatever the outcomes they want to do. I mean, that just takes the human element out of it. Then it also, it's an, a kind of a disadvantage to the player that's really hustling and trying harder than and maybe he's not been doing so well throughout the season. And you're just trying to put him in a bubble, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't know, man, you're all, like I tell my son, man, you are one hit away from a hit streak. So let's go. There you go. Dudes, what do you guys think about this? If you're one-sided on all this and or see things one way, especially if it, even if it's different from what Anthony and I are mentioning here, we'd love to hear about it. As always, hit us in our show notes or email us info at donutswithdudes.com. We'll return to the show in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at homesparkcare.com. HomeSpark, we care for people. Well, dudes, back in the bakery, getting ready to join Anthony and I's conversation with Silicon Valley-based entrepreneur, investor, author, and policy advisor, Tom Kemp. Tom, Anthony, and I had a great conversation discussing all the current happenings surrounding technology and artificial intelligence. Tom is the author of Containing Big Tech, How to Protect Our Civil Rights, Economy, and Democracy. That book is coming out later on in August. Anthony, what did you enjoy about the conversation? It just brought to light a bunch of, uh, you know, concerns that we should have, you know, moving forward with this whole AI trend and just the way everything uh, is moving. You know, I really felt like personal data and and security is going to be very important for us um, as we get into this new age. So I enjoyed sitting down with him and, and listening to what he had to say. I did too. Tom has served as a technology policy advisor for political campaigns and advocacy groups, including leading the campaign marketing efforts in 2020 to pass California's Proposition 24. So dudes, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation that Anthony and I had with Tom Kemp. Let's jump right into the show. Let's get it. Well, Tom, as a uh, as a tech investor, I know you've probably witnessed uh, quite a few trends and, and developments in the tech industry itself. Can you tell us about what trends are emerging in the sector and what are most investors really excited about right now in the tech industry? Yeah, look... AI is clearly the topic of the day, the week, the month, the year. It is like the sun in the sky blotting out uh, almost everything. 
And it's interesting that when most people think about AI, they think about the generative AI, you know, text image or text, you, you type a question and it gives you multiple paragraphs. But AI is actually being used uh, for automated decision making to speed up analysis and, and help people pinpoint specific bits of data. Or probably the, the best example of the use of AI is TikTok, where it collects all these signals, these micro signals of what you like, and it's able to optimize itself. So being here in Silicon Valley, it's like AI, 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 and it and everything else is kind of just just minor noise in the background. Understandable. Yeah. I feel like that's it's all over the news. AI everywhere, every single industry, everybody's trying to figure out how do we adapt, pivot, and, and integrate artificial intelligence in into our workflow. And yeah, so that that that's it's absolutely crazy. It's a brave new world we're living in. Yeah, you know, here in Silicon Valley, it's interesting that, you know, we kind of have these hype cycles. And so, you know, years ago, it was just the internet, right? And then it became software as a service that everyone jumped onto. Then it was big data. And so the latest thing that everyone's talking about is AI, and it's going through that hype cycle, and eventually it's going to hit the trough of disillusionment. Uh, but then it's going to eventually kind of, you know, balance itself out. So I think uh, it, it is pretty revolutionary technologies, but uh, it's clearly being overhyped. And I think that there's probably, uh, you know, you know, people are are painting the pictures of the Terminator uh, robots killing us, you know, next week. It's probably not going to happen next week. Um, and, you know, there's, there's things that we should worry about. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are just writing stuff to and saying stuff to make headlines. Yeah. Anything for clickbait, right? Absolutely. Hey, Tom, uh, the power of big tech companies has raised questions about data, privacy, and security. I know in your book, you mentioned potential solutions. Um, what can individuals and governments take to enhance their uh, data protection without stifling technology advancement? Yeah, you know, I think the, the thing is you just got to step back and, and really take a look at the fact that we're in the digital age and, uh, we now have five large tech companies. It's, you know, Meta, formerly Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Google, uh, that are some of the most powerful companies that we've ever had. And they have amazing products, amazing reach, um, but they're mainly unregulated. And in my mind, because they've become so big, when you combine it with some of the issues that that we have, and and those issues include there's just too much of our data is being collected, right? Um, and AI uh, processes that data and can introduce uh, bias. It can be exploited in, in negative ways. Um, and so it, it's led to a bunch of problems. Um, but one thing to your point, you know, I just didn't want to sit there and just focus on the, the negativity and the problems. I wanted to talk about hey, what are things that we can do? And th there are things that we can do as consumers. And it starts with reducing the amount of data that we exhaust that can be hoovered up, right? And that that means, for example, on an iPhone, uh, turning on app tracking transparency to block third parties from doing that. It's a simple switch you can put on. If you have an Android device, there's an app called DuckDuckGo that you can turn on 
that does something similar. And then on a PC, you can download the EFF privacy badger to block third-party trackers. So there's ways that you can reduce the data flow um, as consumers to make it less likely that some of your data can be hoovered up and used against you from an identity fraud perspective, et cetera. But in the book, I also talk about the fact that we, you know, can do things at the federal level. um, And the first of which is, you know, we do need a federal privacy law. Now in Texas, Texas just passed a comprehensive privacy law. So you joined the 12 other states and I'm in California. We were the first one. That's great. But we do need a national privacy law. And then finally, I, I do think we need to look at making the tech industry more competitive. Um, and maybe it's not a good thing to have so much power consolidated. Like, for example, Apple and uh, Google require, if you do a transaction, they take 30% of every transaction. And in a normal market, like if you were to buy something with a credit card, Visa takes 1%. And so that's not healthy, uh, you know, for, you know, that you have these large gatekeepers and toll keepers for the economy. And it means that there isn't the pressure to change some of these practices as well. So I think the solutions are things that we can do as consumers, but I think we do need a federal privacy law and we do need to look at uh, making sure that there's more innovation for startups and looking at the potential, you know, too much consolidation of power with the large tech players. Yeah. You know, I I think it's kind of goes into this whole too big to fail kind of thing. You've got these huge conglomerate giants that can lobby on their behalf, can push agenda to to suit the needs and create a market in an environment where they can thrive at the expense of the consumer or the people around it, right? And so, but it's hard. It's, I mean, I think you have to create a, a fine balance between the two, right? Because you can stifle innovation at a certain point. So I, I'm just curious, like at what point do you, you find this really good balance of we're going to put good regulations on these huge companies, but not also bring down the, the I don't know the word you would use, but I, I guess the, uh, again, going back to stifling innovation. How do we? Innovation, yeah. 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 How do we? Yeah. yeah no, I, it, it's, look, I mean, you clearly have a situation in which, you know, Look, I'm in Silicon Valley and, you know, I was cheering on the IPO of, of Facebook and Google and I was, you know, cheering on just the revolution that happened with the iPhone, right? And um, and that's how, how we often think about these tech companies as the, the, the guys in the garage and uh, with the dog um, and, you know, doing these amazing things, et cetera. But I think it, it gets to a point uh, where you got got to start being worried is that if they do bad things and nothing changes, and so in the case of like Meta, you know they leaked all this information through the Cambridge Analytica leak, and that was bad. But then two years later, they were hacked like five or six times, um, and and they were u- also using information of ours, like giving, when we give our phone number, they were like giving it to advertisers so they could, as opposed to the reason why they asked us for the phone numbers, uh, you know, was to do multi-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there was a whistleblower that said that they knew that they were, you know, making things worse for kids in terms of 
looking at you know body image and cyberbullying, and they were amplifying bad things as well. So I think it kind of reaches a point, um, you know, if they're kind of become repeat offenders um, and they're 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 doing you know more harm than good, and then I think it also reaches a point where if they control too much of the market. So if you take you know like if you try to build uh, start a company doing mobile apps, they Google and Apple take 30%, you know, just if you sell one thing or you do a transaction and it's hard for a startup to do that because they kind of have a monopoly on the mobile operating system or Amazon, Amazon will look at your products that look at all the products being sold. And then if you start selling a lot of your dog beds, they'll come out with a basic product because it, so they operate the market, but they'll participate in the market as well. And then all of a sudden, you know, they 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 create knockoffs of of what you do, and and so I think it, it does become a tipping point where there's too much harm being done to society, and that they're they're actually stifling competition by creating a marketplace, but then playing in the marketplace, but the market is has the rules that will always favor them. I mean, and the, the last example, like Spotify wanted to come out with um audiobooks right but the problem is is that if they sold an audiobook on the iphone they would have to give apple a 30 percent cut so they would have to offer a higher price for their audiobooks but apple because they don't have to pay the 30 percent can offer the same audiobook cheaper right mm-hmm. and um and so i think that and and there's really no alternative than you know using that um for for people because they 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 own the platform, they own the marketplace, they own the app store, et cetera. So I think it eventually reaches a point where you start actually seeing companies being hurt uh, because they can't offer products in a competitive manner. Then you got to say, you know what, actually they were good for the economy in the early days, but now they've just become kind of your old fashioned monopoly, like a standard oil or the railroad barons, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I can definitely see that happening. Um, you know, you you touched on artificial intelligence and and automation. Obviously, that's a that's a hot ticket item. But I think the biggest thing that people worry about when it comes to AI is: Are we going to lose our jobs? Right? And yeah. and how is that going to reshape our whole job market? And so, how do you see this working out? Right? I mean. With the events, with the advancements affecting the economy and the workforce, you know, what steps should we take to to ensure a smooth transition and and make sure that this isn't a huge outflow of human capital in the workforce because of this technology? I, I, this is a big issue. I mean, but look, I mean, stepping far back, you know, we've always had new technology that automates stuff and. I remember when I was in college, like the big debate was whether calculators could be led into the class and used for finals. And, you know, the debate in colleges today is whether students can use generative AI in school. So, you know, so there's always been these these challenges, but I think AI, you know, significantly furthers the automation trend because AI can handle even more complex tasks, including those that would typically be handled by more skilled workers and so um, I think it was McKinsey a couple of years ago did a survey or study that said 50% of current work activities are automatable. Um, and uh, so that's, you know, that's scary. Now, 
some of the same people are saying, the, these economists are also saying, well, you know, this is going to spur net increase in jobs, um, but there's going to be significant amount of worker displacement. So there, there is a potential upside, just like, you know, with calculators or, or software as a service or the internet revolution, it, it creates new jobs, but sometimes the existing jobs may be in a situation where, you know, they're, they're automated or, or become obsolete, et cetera. And obviously the, 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 the issue that we face as a, as a society is that if there's too much societal upheaval on um, then, and there's too much rising inequality uh, that has fueled authoritarianism, polarization, and then people start not believing in, in the benefits of democracy and our, 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 you know, capitalist oriented society as well. So, um, so what we can do as, as individuals, I think the key thing is, is that we should strive to be good at something, right. And, 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 uh, and continue to invest in ourselves and, and keep up to date and knowing that we just can't, you know, that there's a chance that what we're currently doing may be automated, but if we're good at that and we show the ability to be adaptable, um, then, and then that's good. And of course there are things that, that won't be automated as well, um, that, uh, you know, would, would be good. And of course there, there will be opportunities to program AI and manage AI, et cetera, and to be able to participate in the revolution, um, just like the whole huge growth of ITs. And in fact, you know, if you look at like open positions, there's like hundreds of thousands of open positions in cybersecurity, right? And uh, and so that's an example where if you are a young person that maybe, hey, let's, you know, get into cybersecurity, right? Because there's just hundreds of thousands of open jobs and there's a lot of opportunity right there. And then finally, as a society, I think we need to focus on training and uh, and investing at the college level to prepare people for the digital age, right? Uh, and so that means that uh, there, there probably needs to have AI introduced into the curriculum. And much like when I was a kid, I had to take shop class, and uh, and I think the girls had to take home ec classes. That kind of tells you how old I am. But you know, maybe uh, you know there should be you know even at the high school level, there there probably should be a course in AI, just at least giving people the comfort level. That maybe if they go to a trade school or college, be it a junior college or a four-year college, that hey, I got the initial exposure, I can do this, right? Um, and so I think we as a society need to just ensure that uh, we're preparing uh, people for the changes that will definitely occur. Yeah. So, what's your take on you know current regulations right now? And we've got another topic that we want to run into, but I, I'm just curious before yeah. we hop off the the AI train here, you know, where, where are you seeing regulations going right now? Obviously you've got big names, Elon Musk, Sam Altman, that's going in front of Congress and testifying about technology, giving warnings about it, talking about open AI. Where are regulations going right now? And and where do you see a need for more, I guess, at this point in time with AI? Yeah. You know, I mean, people are talking it and they're like forming committees to form a committee. Um, I, to me, I think it's what really needs to happen is at the very minimum, we kind of need the equivalent of new food nutrition labels for AI. Right. But the equivalent for AI. Right. Uh, it, it, I think it 
would be very helpful to know, you know, if there's a video we're watching, um, especially when you get into deep fakes and, and people are taking AI technology and doing deep fake pornography and, and using it in a harassing manner, uh, et cetera. But there should be ways that that we as consumers should know if the content that we're viewing is actually AI or not. And it should be labeled and should be clearly, you know, watermarked for it as well. I have one proposal, which I, it's it, it, it's really funny because uh, there's a family friend and uh, their high school kid was, uh, their daughter was asked to write an essay. And I think the essay was like, well, you know, how, how can you get into a good college? And she wrote, actually, it turned out to be a pretty funny essay, which she said she's going to move to Montana, go to school there because not as many people from Montana, you know, go to East Coast schools or whatever. And she's going to learn the bassoon. Right. It was it was kind of humorous, funny. The teacher said you used A.I., to build this and she didn't right um because it was almost too good too funny that of course the, the teacher thought it had to be generated by a computer and so my proposal is is that you should actually uh, require the large uh, uh, generative ai companies to have people be able to upload text and they have to respond back yes or no did you generate this like you should be able to ask, did you generate this Word document? And they they'll pop back, no, I didn't, or yes, I did. I did it on you know January sixth, twenty twenty three, right? And so that would actually significantly uh, help and improve, uh, you know, this fear and concern at the high school and at the college level that that kids are cheating. But that could also help consumers know whether or not a web page, you could send a, a link to a web page to see whether or not this actually was generated or not as well. So I think the key thing is the first step in regulation, especially with AI, because it generates content that we're consuming, that we need to know if it's human generated or machine generated. Or another example is we should have the right that, you know, it's, isn't it really creepy when you you call like a, a, a service center and, you, and you're like talking to someone, but do you ever get that like sinking feeling that maybe this is not a real person, that you're actually talking to a machine, right? You should have the ability to like do a star 411, you know, at any time during the call or if you're on an online chat and be able to say, are you human or are you, is this a machine, et cetera? And so I think it, First and foremost, the regulations really need to focus on just basic transparency. And, and then from there, I think then that gives us uh, the framework, that more comfort level that that we know that, okay, if I'm freaking out about something, at least I know if it's human or not. I, so I think that's the, the first level. And then I think the next level for regulation is is that too many decisions are being made about us, whether or not we get a loan, we get a credit card, that there's no human intervention. And it, and we should also have the ability to object to automated decision-making and say, you know what, I just got rejected from this home loan, or I got rejected for my, my small business loan, et cetera. I, I deserve the right to have a human intervene and explain to me why this, this happened. And so I think the next level beyond transparency is that for key life decisions, there, there does need to be a way for us to be able to kind of raise the flag and say, 
hey, this was just done by the computer. And because oftentimes a lot of the data that they base their decisions on is wrong or incorrect. And you should have the right to be able to say, you know, what what did you base this on? Well, oh, you based it on like you have my wrong salary or you have the wrong Tom Kent, right, that you're basing this decision on. Um, and so I think that's where, uh, you know, basic transparency, the basic right to have human intervention. I think those type of things will go a long way to to making us feel comfortable uh, about the the continued growth of AI, not only at the in society, but in schools and, and other places. And I'm, I'm glad you touched base on that, too, yeah, especially with the with the school thing, because um, I always thought, you know, how can you uh, how could you tell, you know, if this was plagiarized or not and like where it was really originated? Um, so I thought that was uh, I'm glad that you covered that. Um, secondly, um, you know, with the rapid evolution of technology, what do you see uh, on the horizon that's new and exciting that, you know, we can expect to manifest over the next few years? Well, if I knew, I would not be on this podcast. I wouldn't be talking to you, and I would be building it right now, and not telling anyone. And uh, and then next, Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. No, but seriously, um, I think we are going to see a quantum leap in the medical space in terms of detecting diseases, coming out with new vaccines. You know, you can now use the power of large data sets. For example. You know, you and I, like, I hurt my hand or I think I broke something or I get an MRI, right? And you now have a doctor who's an expert, and maybe they've looked at in their life 500 MRIs of your hand, right? Okay. And that's great. And they can say, oh, it's this, that, the other thing. But just imagine that you would have the power of your X-ray or your MRI being looked at in the context of tens of millions of other MRIs where other things were detected as well. And so using the power of AI to look at millions of results and, and kind of piece things together, I think is incredible. And you can apply it to, to, to you know, new medicines or vaccines, et cetera. So I really think that the medical, I mean, because, you know, like so much of the medical space is like paper oriented or talking to a doctor and you get a doctor and you know, maybe they only have two or three years of experience or they haven't seen your symptoms before. But if you can use the power of AI, I think it can really significantly improve healthcare um, and medical research. Um, I also think that we're going to see incredible results in solar and wind I mean, the prices are going down so much, but then if you start applying to AI in terms of intelligent load balancing, and um, I really hope and I, I believe that we're going to have the ability to have more batteries that we can use at home. And so each of our own homes becomes like a little mini electric plant, and then we can do a, a more intelligent way of sharing information, et cetera. So the, the, the actual parts are getting cheaper, the panels, et cetera. And but now if you apply, you know, AI, um, et cetera, there's just much more that can be done. So I really think that um, medical and energy uh, that uh, I, I think we're going to start seeing, you know, some some serious revolutions in terms of more efficiency uh, on the energy side, but also uh, just, you know, big leaps forward uh, in the medical side as well in terms of uh, prevention and 
uh, and detection. Yeah, it's it's this side of artificial intelligence and tech that I, I'm actually super nerded out about and, and super excited about to see just how we, we like you you using your term quantum leaps in in the medical field. We're we're both in in the medical field ourselves, and so we really are looking forward to to seeing how that shapes our health outcomes for the future. So you know all this information you bestowed upon us today. I'm like, man, this guy should write a book. Oh wait. <laughs> he did. So I, before we cut you loose, Tom, if you don't mind, uh, would you mind talking to us about your book and and tell us tell us about it and where we can find it? Yeah. Look, I mean, we're all in the digital age now, right? And um, and the, there has been a concentration of power in these five vendors, um, and um, and you know it's. People kind of understand some of the problems, like in one area, um, but not the others. And, you know, and so what I wanted to do is create a simple and comprehensive look at the issues concerning big tech that, you know, that the average person can pick up the book and read and say, okay, you know, I get it. Okay, this this connects the dots for me. Um, But also, I didn't want to just to be about, well, here's the good, here's the bad, you decide, right? Actually, I wanted to provide solutions to empower consumers and say, hey, if you're concerned about your personal security, if you're concerned about your privacy, et cetera, here are things that you can do, right? And then at the same time, I said, look, if there's going to be some sort of federal privacy law or whatever, here are like the basic things that should be in it, and and here's why. And so I, I wanted it to be solution oriented. And then finally, there's just so many things that are happening. There's, you know, obviously we talked about AI, but you got like TikTok, you got all new laws um, that, that really haven't been covered before. I wanted to like explain to people, you know, why TikTok is so addictive, right? Like, well, why is it really so addictive? Right. And then, and then, you know, what are the issues associated with, you know, where they collect the information, what they do with the information, you know, I wanted to talk about the good of AI, but how AI, you know, could actually be bad and and look at the potential impact on kids in terms of, you know, are we, will this be used to kind of even further addict kids as well? So I really wanted to also write a, a fresh and up-to-date look at, at where things stand right there. And so that was kind of the motivation was to take my Many years of experience being in Silicon Valley, understanding how these tech companies work, um, having worked in doing cybersecurity and and worked on policy matters regarding privacy. I kind of wanted to combine all my life experiences and just try to put together a book uh, that, you know, would allow people to kind of like, okay, having read it, like I now get what's what are the issues and and what I should do and what what politicians should be doing as well. So that, that was the motivation. Love it. Dudes, there you have it. Go check out Tom's book containing big tech, how to protect our civil rights, economy, and democracy. You can find that on Amazon and it'll be released on August 22nd. So pre-order your books now and get ready to dive into some more of the information that we discussed here today. Tom, thank you again for joining Anthony and I in the bakery. We hope you'll join us here soon to discuss more of what's going on in the tech industry and more specifically artificial intelligence. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Well, dudes, that's it for our show this week. 
Special shout out to our expert, Tom Kemp, for stopping by in the bakery this week to help break down the current happenings in tech and in AI. You can find out more about Tom Kemp on his website, tomkemp.ai. As always, you can check out all of our content on our link tree at Donuts with Dudes. Shout out to our fans. We got Butler from Cyprus, Ricky from College Station, Houston Thomas, tight end for UTSA, and the true big Kev from, from H-Town, Houston, Texas. Thanks, guys, for coming by and dropping a line on social media for us. Dude, you can request a shout-out or comment on today's show by following the link in the show notes or emailing us, info at donutswithdudes.com. And dudes, always remember, our mission is to make men better and smarter each week. And if you get a chance, make sure to share the episode with some friends. Until next week, take care of yourself, and we'll see you in the bakery for the next batch of our fresh hot topics.